Welcome to Digital Digital Get Down. This is our big back to school extravaganza. Is it? Are we still a parental advisory podcast? For sure. Please do not Adults let your children only. listen to this. Especially not like we started off at our first episode talking about gay sex and like I think we've maybe not maintained that. Yeah. But we still we stay swear true a lot. to our roots. Yeah. yeah. Um this is week 55, episode 55. Wow. And I think we need to start off with our very emotional roller coaster of an afternoon. Um, yeah. Uh, I cried. Yeah. I cried. And I had to... I almost puked. I had to physically leave the house. You did. I could not find you. <laughs> so we are referring to, of course, the Serena Williams and... Fiasco. And Naomi Osaka. Let me finish her name. You're just like the announcers. Oh. Naomi Osaka's win of the Women's U.S. Open final and the controversy. Does it have a Does it have thing. a gate name yet? Um, no, there's just been a lot of people saying a lot of headlines being like Osaka wins despite Serena's breakdown, and then other people being like, "That's not the way you should headline this. Stop blaming Serena." There's like a lot of stuff going on on Twitter. Okay, so let's focus on me just for a hot second. Well, are you going to give a recap? To I will. I'll get there. Okay, I'll get there. But. Most importantly, I picked Miss Osaka to win in our official bracket challenge. She's my new so kudos to me female tennis player. You're in her camp. That's fine. I still like Sloane Stevens as well. I was hoping for a final between them. Those were my picks. Um, Naomi Osaka is so cute. Yeah, I want to be adorable. her friend. She's adorable. I want to wrap her up in a blanket mm-hmm. and just pat her on the head and be like, "You did a good job." <laughs> Um, and I was really more invested in the women's, um, tournament once Roger fell out it's okay, babe. of his side of the bracket. Well, Rafa's out too, so you can take your ill wishes for him as usual. Yeah. Stuff those. Okay, so let's get to Saturday afternoon, which I was hoping for a good match because I was still upset about the Roger stuff and... You know, fall is usually about getting excited about football and other sports and stuff, and we're on our football boycott, Mm -hmm. and so, like, I was like, this is, like, the peak of sports for me for a while, depending on how the Red Sox do. I also might have to watch some football just for, like, my social status at school. That's true. Because, like, the one time one of the kids thought I was cool is because I said I was a Patriots fan. So I'm going to need to at least keep up. I think you'll be able to, yeah, you'll be able You know that I've always been pretty good at, like knowing one thing yep. and then acting like I know the whole thing. Yeah, you're sneaky about that. Yeah, so. Okay. I think, can we focus on me for a second sure. before you go on? I just want to say that I was coming off of a Parks and Rec high yeah. because we finally got to the end of season two and you and I are going to have a battle sometime about mm. who's more important because you are... Who do you ship? You've been waiting on Andy in April. Yeah. And I've been waiting on Ben Wyatt to show up. So we finally got to the penultimate episode of season two where shit goes down. Like everything yeah. happens. It's all foreshadowed for like the literally the finale finale. All the stuff is foreshadowed at the end of season two. Everyone's drunk most importantly. Everyone's drunk. Ben Wyatt finally shows up and him and Leslie like butt heads. But like there's some sexual, sexual tension. tension there. April and Andy finally get some stuff sorted out. Sort of. Kind of. And then it gets ruined again. Fucking Ann Perkins. Ann Perkins and Chris Traeger. There, there's some seeds planted there. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. That's foreshadowing for sure. I meant uh, that starts to grow. We got it. There. We got it. 
<laughs> didn't make it better. Starting to grow doesn't make it better. Anyway, so I was coming off a of Parks and Rec high. And then it was like, okay, we'll just put the tennis on and I'll do some work for school. And I was like, this is going to be a good match. Like, they are both good competitors. You've got the veteran, greatest of all time, against an up-and-coming star. It should have been like three sets, really, really good. First set, Osaka, I wouldn't say dominated, but she yeah. won pretty handedly. Yep. Uh, second set begins. Okay. So there are three incidents that became the story of this match. Yes. Let's, I guess, go go through them real quick and this then go back. This could be a long This could podcast. be like a 20-minute tennis segment right here. Plus, I so. have a lot of newses. Yeah, that's fine. Okay. So incident one happens, I believe, two games into the second set. So Serena Williams is down one set to love in women's tennis. It's best out of three, so she needs to win the second set or Correct. it's done. Uh, so I believe it's one game all, uh, and the chair umpire calls out a... Coaching violation warning. A violation, right, saying that uh, he noticed Serena's coach from the stands doing a gesture that he considered to be coaching, and therefore that was a verbal warning of so a code in, violation. Because in tennis, you're not allowed to get any coaching during the match. Like, your coach has to sit in a box with your family, and they're not allowed to, like, yell anything at you. They're not allowed to give you any hand signals, anything, because they're not supposed to be coaching you. You're supposed to be an individual sport. Right. And the women's tour actually now does allow coaches to come onto the court in between sets, but that's only in standard tournaments, not Grand Slams. Right. Um, so Serena is a little bit baffled, understandably, when this gets called out. Uh, because it's all pointing back to the coach in the stands. And it's still unclear whether or not she was looking at him at the time he was making the gesture. But to kind of... Hold on. They what? Keep, they keep saying that it's not clear if she was looking at him or not, but she describes to the umpire right. what she saw. So her first, her first reaction is she storms over to the chair umpire and says, I don't know what you think you saw, but I don't do hand signals... He was giving me thumbs up. That means, come on, I'm not a cheater. I have a daughter. I'm not a cheater. I'd rather lose than cheat to win. But if she didn't see him, then how did she know he was giving her a thumbs up? Right. I rest my case. And ESPN has the footage, and the guy has his two thumbs up, but it is not a traditional American-style thumbs up. He's doing like a thrusting motion, like he's holding someone by the hips. and Right, which is pretty easy to understand. He was telling her to go into the net. Because and what happens next point? She went into the net and won it very easily. Osaka is known for not being comfortable at the net, so the obvious thing to do based on that scouting report would be to hit drop shots, hit shallow shots, force her to come in and make mistakes. And charge the net, which is exactly what Serena did in her next play when she supposedly did not see the coaching. She just saw a thumbs right. up. And now, nobody accuses her of cheating. It's important to point out. I'm sure in the scouting report and in their pregame discussion, she and her coach talked about the importance to move forward. I assume all the coach was doing was realizing that either Serena was not feeling comfortable doing that or was forgetting about how important that was. So he was trying so he was to transmit her. a message. So he was coaching her. Yes. But she took offense thinking the chair umpire was accusing her of cheating. Okay, incident one. So she eventually goes back and plays the game. And in set number two, she actually breaks Osaka first. So she's up. If she can just serve out, she wins the second set. She gets broken once. 
-hmm. So it's back to even. And then she gets broken again. So this is now four games later. Yeah. And she gets mad because she makes a mistake and hits a ball into the net. So she smashes her racket. Right. And this is what sets off the second incident. And this is the reason that... I don't think she has a lot of argument because if this didn't happen, Correct. the rest of it wouldn't happen. And this was entirely in her control. And like, there's all these, like her coach and all these things, announcers and whatever are saying they should be able to express their emotions. No. Fucking bullshit. In any sport, any person, like I hate in baseball when people come back to the dugout mm -hmm. and like chuck their helmets and right. throw bats and whatever. But because like, it's done in kind of the private area, it's not like a But it's still always shown on TV. I'm oh, saying sure. I have a problem with that too. When you have one of the top tennis players showing that kind of unsportsmanlike behavior, mm -hmm. That's such a bad example for kids. Like, she talks a lot about how she wants to be an example for women and a role sure. model and all this. She's a mom. I don't know if you've heard. <laughs> and I don't think that's a good example for her daughter is that if you're upset about something, you break your belongings and right. smash them on the world stage. And maybe some people like it because it's dramatic, like, just like people like hockey fights. Yeah. But... I don't think that's acceptable at the professional level to act like that. They always talk about how one of the big tenets of tennis is that you have to have this, um, like, you know, rock solid emotional yeah. um, stability. stability. Sure. And that does not display that to me. No. And so, you know, the breaking of the racket is the most common code violation in tennis. So she did not argue with getting called for that one. Correct. But part of the problem is that it seemed at least. Like, Serena was operating as if the first violation had magically gone away. So she right, thought this was her went, first one. Because she went and, like, talked to the chair umpire and explained it to him. He said, okay, I understand your explanation. Mm -hmm. She thought that, it, like, disappeared. Like, he, like, took it, erased it. Right. But clearly like like he never a, like announced. It's like a schoolyard game where it's, yeah. like, retract. Just right. kidding. Uh, but he clearly never, you know, now announced over the loudspeaker that the violation had been taken away. I'm not even sure if there is a mechanism for him to do that, especially four games after it, it was given. It seems so because the crowd was very confused and even Osaka said that she was confused about what was happening. Right. So that was four games after the first incident. No, Osaka has broken twice, so she's now up a break. Yeah. Um, and then two games later, ESPN comes back from commercial and they have footage of Serena talking from her seat, talking to the chair umpire again. Insisting that he owes her an apology. Going that, back to that he needs one. to go over the loudspeaker and and tell the whole crowd that she wasn't cheating because yep. she's not a cheat, and that he owes her an apology. And how dare he take a point away from her? And right. then so we skipped over the fallout of incident two. Then because that was her second violation, right. she lost the first point of the next game. So Osaka was serving, and she began serving fifteen love, and actually served from the opposite side, which As is strange. As if the first point already happened and was forfeited. Right. Um, okay, so that's how it works. With a men's game, if you get two violations about the goddamn serve clock, you lose a point. So that's just standard rules. So yeah, we're two games later, and Serena is jawing at the chair umpire. Again, still. Again, going back, this is now like six games you know, later from the first incident. You owe me apology. You owe me apology. If you're not going to apologize, don't even talk to me. Right, and she had threatened at one point that you'll never do another one of my matches here ever again after this. I thought this. she said you'll never do an open again, or you'll yeah. never ump again or something. So the microphones are hot at this point in time, and Serena seems like she's ready to get up and go play the next game, but then very clearly you hear her say, uh, you stole a point from me, you're a thief. And she's like looking at him, I don't know if she's pointing or not, but she's clearly 
being demonstrative about this is on you, bro. Carlos Ramos, this tiny little yeah. uh, man up in the chair. And she begins to, I think, look away or walk away. And he comes over the announcement and says, code, vi code violation, verbal abuse. That is a game, a game penalty or whatever they call it. So, so she lost a whole game in that correct. set. It was four to three. It became five to three Osaka. One was game Osaka away from winning. Sir? No. So this is one oh, interesting yeah, part. Uh, Osaka got a free game, but it was her serve, which normally in tennis you hold serve. So it would have been a lot worse if it had, by coincidence, happened the other way, yeah. where it would have given her a break. The other thing I realized is, what happens if Serena waits one more game to do that yelling? If it's 5-3 and she gets the penalty, that's how the, the match ends. Can you ends. imagine how much worse that would have been? Can you imagine? I was just thinking that I thought it was almost worse that she had to serve right after because she mm. double faulted, didn't I she? I assumed she was going to lose that game, but she ended up winning that one fine. Osaka didn't play that game very hard. I think she was this, probably rattled and just wanted to this finish is where it on I her serve. to leave. You left at that point. It was, there was, because once he gave her the game violation, she lost her shit. And I was just like, I cannot. Like, I mean, she's crying on the court. She calls out the head of the referees and the tournament director. I was literally outside. I couldn't even be in the house. Yeah, so... I have, like, a lot of secondhand embarrassment issues mm. in terms of I can't watch some scenes of The Office and shows like that where there's yeah. a lot of, like, like, I can't watch a character making a fool of themselves. And I also, like, have a confrontation issue where I, like, can't deal with it sometimes. Mm. Especially when I'm already feeling anxiety about something else. So I was just like, no, this can't be tough. here. I don't need this in my life. Even um, you were, like, frozen. Oh, my God. On the couch. It was very awkward even watching it from here. Yeah, because I... I felt like it was going to get even worse just the way that the crowd was Well, that's skidding. the other biggest issue was the crowd were being real dicks. Well, part of the issue is that they surely did not understand what was happening. Because on TV with the microphones and the replays, we actually probably had a better view and understanding of it than anybody else Yeah, they else just saw there. Serena losing points and her yelling at the ump and right. not really... And they would cheer whenever she stopped yelling because they would think, oh, she got the best of him. He He gets it now. Yeah. But Little she did was they know. crying and... Poor Osaka. Osaka got got Kanye'd is how I described it when she it did. happened. Yeah. Where she was left, you know, like Taylor was left standing somewhere, having won something, but feeling like... Like they lost. The lowest person in the world at that moment. I don't know. I wouldn't say Serena was the Kanye necessarily, but... I don't even the know. The Cherump was the Kanye? I think the Cherump is Serena's the Beyonce. Coach, Serena's coach was the Kanye? I don't know. Because Serena, like, Serena tried to un-Kanye the situation later. So eventually what happens anyways is yep. Osaka ends up winning. 6-4 in the last And set, yeah. except now all of the headlines and all of the stories and all the announcements was about, like, Serena and was it fair and how to, should, she, should she have reacted yeah. and all of this shit. And everyone's like, oh yeah, but Osaka played well too. And the whole ceremony was just, oh, Like, the chair empire didn't even come out. The, the crowd was just booing. Yeah. Osaka was, like, openly weeping because the crowd right. was booing. There's the picture being shared around now where you see the two of them and you're like, did neither of these people win? What so happened Did someone here? die? Did yeah. the winner die? And they, yeah. yeah. Because they're just both crying. And poor Osaka, it was not happy crying. It was not tears of joy crying. No. It was like, this is really awkward and I don't know how to feel. I didn't want to win like this kind of crying. Okay, so... Because they're booing at... Like, I understand they were booing at the umpire or, like, the, the establishment or yeah. whatever. But, like, when Osaka has won her first open and they're trying to be like, what a great match. Oh, great job, Osaka. And the whole crowd is booing, like... Yeah, it's just not a good atmosphere. And she even, like, came on and apologized and said, I know you were all here for Serena mm -hmm. and this isn't the outcome you hoped for, but 
but thanks for watching. Yeah. And it's like, that sh she should not have to apologize for winning an Open. And she did win it. She didn't. So, she didn't. Serena didn't lose. She Osaka oh, no, no. won. Osaka was beating. Absolutely her. deserved to win. Hands down. Osaka handedly beat her in the first game, and the second game had Se a few breaks. Whatever. Second set had a bunch of breaks. Oh, yes, yeah. she was in front the whole the whole time. Um, now I think on this podcast, probably 30, 40 episodes ago, I said I would never say a bad thing about Serena Williams ever again because I was so in awe of the fact that she won that Australian Open while eight weeks pregnant. I still find that to be her crowning achievement. The greatest sports achievement of all time, perhaps. Yes. Uh, but I have to throw that out in this situation. Um, but, but I do think she handled some parts of the situation really well. Serena handled the ceremony very, very well. She handled she the press conference very, very she well. She refused to answer questions that were inappropriate. She refused to badmouth anyone, really. Even yeah. the umpire afterwards, she didn't really badmouth him. In the press conference, him. she said he'd been a great umpire every other interaction she'd ever had. And at the pre at the, the first chance she got the mic at the um, ceremony, she didn't even ask the crowd to stop booing. She told them to stop booing. Yeah. And to, she wouldn't answer any questions about it. She just wanted, just wanted to say that Osaka played really well and all that. Right. So, And she was visibly comforting Osaka and talking to her sure. and congratulating her. And she gave her a big hug after the match. And mm -hmm. um, So I think that she handled that aspect of it very well. And I, I'm cautious of how to choose my words here because I know that black women in particular get stereotyped as like the angry black woman a mm -hmm. lot. Um, and then I do think that women, the whole idea of like a hysterical woman, which is such a misogynistic word yeah. that I think, I, I do agree with some aspect of the idea that if it was a guy who said that, it maybe would have right. come across as less, or, the umpire might have taken it differently. So yeah, let's dig into incident three a little bit. Because Serena's and you know Serena's reaction to the third penalty was that it was ridiculous for the word thief to get her in that much trouble, and her main argument was that men say worse things and do worse things on a tennis court and wouldn't receive that penalty. Yeah, what she's getting at, I assume, is swearing, where men swear towards the umpire or about the umpire pretty regularly. But to me saying that was a bullshit call or this is fucking bullshit is a very different context than looking someone in the eye and saying, you are a thief, you stole from me. I still think the worst was the first accusation when she said you'll never ump a, a threat an that open again. Or like could have control over his job. Yeah, security, like I still yeah. think that was the worst and I think that was her biggest mistake. I think if she didn't lean into him so hard after the first one mm -hmm. that he might not have given her that penalty the second time, but I think she didn't handle the first one very well. And the fact that it stretched over a period of eight games, it wasn't... And the fact that it wouldn't have been a problem if she didn't smash her fucking racket. Correct. That like, was the one that she was in had the easiest of. control of. Yes, yeah. if she just didn't smack her smash her racket, none of this would have happened. And I would have liked her to take a little bit more responsibility for that, to say that, you know, that really had me tense when I lost my temper and smashed my racket and, you know... I could have avoided a lot of the trouble if I hadn't done that. Yeah, and I think that I understand that for her, it was already unfair because of the coaching thing or whatever, but she had control over that second yeah. violation, which led to the... The, it getting the escalation of the situation. Right. And what I'm saying is she had 45 or 30 minutes 
to get over the first issue. Yeah. And That's so... That's part of being athlete is yeah. that when shit like that happens, when a call goes against you, do you think every pitcher who doesn't get a strike that they want can just keep talking about it for seven innings and not focus on the game? Do you think yeah. every batter who or runner who thinks they're safe and they get called out just like sits and pouts for four at-bats, yeah. Like... So you right in this case, the fact that she was getting getting whipped a little bit had to come into play, where she became so focused on the and umpire that it was like against her. Yep, because one of her first things she said was, "This always happens to because me." Because of one time ten years ago. So she's had yeah two other incidents that come up in Google searches when you look up Serena uh, U.S. Open outburst. And she's been playing for two decades, so that's an exaggeration. And she's in the finals like every year, so she can't say it's, it's a always, lot of matches. Like statistically, yeah. I don't think it always happens um, to you, right? And so if it was one incident that that just escalated, you could understand in the heat of the moment. She has a temper; things get intense. Okay, but this was three separate incidents. Like I said, over a half an hour, you have to be able to get yourself in control and move on. And the ump has to be in control of the game. Yep. You can't just like I felt like almost like he was the teacher and she was the student watching it or something. It's like, you have to have some control over the situation. You can't just let an athlete talk shit. Like the, the umpire's whole point is to kind of preserve the sanctity of the game and the rules sure. of the game and, and the, the standards of the game. And when she's flouting that by just carrying on and, and mm -hmm. threatening him and, yeah, I and think he making showed, accusations at him, I think he did what he should I have done. I think he showed patience. I mean, if he was a, if he was really sensitive, he would have given her a second violation when she first was yelling about the coaching stuff. Yeah. But he let her vent, say her piece, and they went on. But then, you know, the the the, the racket-throwing incident doesn't happen if she doesn't lose two service games in a row. So her poor play led to her getting frustrated, which led to her getting upset about the old stuff again. Yes, so... I got she one was, real tough question. She was acting on. like she had no control over the situation or that things were, um, other people were making these choices for her that yeah. were ruining her game. And she is the one that escalated it with that racket. So if you have the exact same scenario, but it's little Simona Halep from Romania, a little white woman. Less threatening. And she says, oh, you stole a point from me. You're, I don't know what accent I'm doing. You, you stole a point Mickey from Mouse? me. Um, you're a thief. Does this same thing happen? Probably not. And that's, mm. that's the point that I, uh, I think the first part still would have happened. The coaching yep. part. And the racket would have and gotten a violation. the racket would have gotten a violation. Would it have been different if it wasn't a large black woman If it was just a little him? white girl going, throwing her hands up in the air. Oh, I lost a point because of you. You're a thief. Yeah. It's the Pinocchio? What points <laughs> are you doing? Um... Yeah, I do think that plays into it, and I mm -hmm. that's why I was like, I, I want to be cautious of how I'm saying this, because not to like relate everything to police brutality, but that's yeah. a lot of times like their argument, too, of like, well, I felt threatened. And it's like, did you feel threatened because of the situation, or did you feel threatened because it was a black person? So, because it was a white dude with a black woman, it definitely adds a challenging dynamic. But I still go back to the point that was, is this, if she didn't, smash her racket it sure. wouldn't have been a problem yeah. and that's what I keep coming back to and nobody seems to be focusing on the fact that it was not coaching violation after coaching violation after verbal abuse whatever like the, the middle one that set off the rest of it yeah. was her choice and her bad sportsmanship and not handling her temper very well yeah um what's interesting I think is that her coach was like yeah I was coaching 
Yeah, so the coach part is a little bit strange. First, I mean, the he announcers tried to-, tried to claim that she couldn't have seen him from where she was, but like we said before, she mentioned that she saw a thumbs up. So but that disregards she saw something. Right. She killed her own argument there. The coach gets interviewed afterwards and says, Yes, I absolutely was trying to coach from the sidelines. Everybody coaches and no one ever gets called for he it. He pulled a Belichick gate, what was it called? Spygate. Spygate. Where he's yeah. Where it's like coaches, everybody does right. it. I only I'm just the one that got caught. Right. But and his argument was male players do it all the time and and never get caught. And I in, in that case, with him trying to spin the, the no, gender... No, no, his wasn't about gender. He was saying all coaches anywhere, including the other guy on the other side. And then he mm. talked about Rafa. Remember he said he Oh, yeah, he did boat? throw under under the bus, not under under. the boat. Is that, is that how they do it? Say it in Spain? <laughs> I don't know. Um, you know, I mix my metaphors sometimes. Um, so he also tried to make it a gender thing, and I don't... I don't think I agree with that one. I think that was him just trying to shift the focus a little bit. Yeah. I mean, he's right, and I I think it's a fair discussion to have of why did the chair umpire feel like he needed to make that call in such a big match. In my opinion, the bigger the match, the closer you should should watch for those things. If it's a first-round match on an outer court, and you have a 100th-ranked player whose coach is waving his hand in a certain direction, okay. But in the Grand Slam final, then yeah, you want to keep an eye on everything, especially when the player is down a set... And not looking great in the second set. Like, yeah, keep your eye on the box. See what they're trying to do. So, yeah, I think his first call was justified. I think the second call for her smashing the racket was justified. And I think the the last call of losing a game was justified. And I understand where Serena's coming from. Because if I was her, I would also be very frustrated that I didn't feel like I got a fair shot. But he admitted that he was coaching. She obviously saw something because she said she thought saw a thumbs up sign. And she seemed to have that comeback real, like, doth protest too much kind of thing. Like, yeah. she had that ready. I don't have signals. We don't have signals. She had that ready. And she continued to tirade against him. Right. Her biggest mistake after the first one was taking it as a personal affront to herself. What she should have said, she could have yelled at the umpire and said, my coach isn't coaching. He doesn't do that. We don't do that. Okay. But she took it to mean that she, she was, was being accused of cheating when really it was a mistake by her coach. And because the coach can't get fined, you know, in a match, it has to come well, you use as a, a penalty. Foul, um, yeah, example. Right. If a coach gets a technical foul in basketball, the other team gets a free throw. It's not anything that any of the players on the coach's team did, but they have but to their be team penalized. Gets penalized. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah, I don't know. It's a very fraught situation, mm. but mostly I'm just really sad that Osaka is always going to have this asterisk next to her name. It should have been this amazing first Japanese player ever to win a final. Mm-hmm. Man or woman. Man or woman. Was it the first to even get... No, you told me that Nishikori was gotten final. into finals yeah. before. So the first to win ever. And she won against her, like, one of her... Um, idols who's Mm -hmm. you know 15 years older than her or whatever and it should have just been such a good moment for her because she did like win the match she was dominating the match but you're right in 10 years they'll say oh yes osaka won her first in 2018 that was that final against serena when serena got the three code violations yeah not when when osaka had all those aces and all those returns she had four aces against serena and her fastest serve was faster than serena's fastest serve she had a second Serve, serve ace, ace. Which is like one of the rarest ways to win a point. And it wasn't even strictly fast. It was like 98 miles per yeah, hour. But it was well placed. Well placed. Like she was excellent. 
she was just doing so well and I loved her interview talking about how the biggest thing she's changed is her mental game and mm -hmm. she went out there and just tried to win every point and not worry so much about her loss record and um, that she was just really trying to be respectful to all the people that she beat. I'm going to cry thinking about it. Mm -hmm. That she was trying to be respectful to all the, the people that she beat along the way so she wanted to give her best give effort. Her best today, effort. Yeah. And... Just like the the image of her standing on the stage at Should Be Ceremony just crying because the crowd is booing. Yeah. Like, I'm going to cry again now just thinking about it. Like, I just felt so bad for her. She was so cute. And we went back and watched um, her, that, what she oh, called the was Indian the worst Wells interview, yeah. the worst post. Uh, she won that final, right? Her acceptance speech, her victory speech. Yes, it was just terrible. <laughs> but in like the most hilarious way. I'll try and post it on the Twitter if I can find it again. Um so I was just like really rooting for her and it just turned into such a shitty moment for her. Like she gets the cup and there were still some cute moments in her acceptance speech and stuff, but it was just marred by this, just this dark cloud over the whole thing. Yeah. So that brings an end to the fortnight of the U.S. Open. I have to think that like this was two steps backwards for tennis in terms of trying to attract a wider audience between all the shitty talk about humidity so much focus on oh the God. weather if i heard one more thing about how hot it was i was gonna throw the fucking tv a lot of mediocre matches you had a lot of mediocre <laughs> a lot of mediocre announcing oh yeah espn i think their tennis coverage is getting worse and worse um and you had roger going out not seeming to really want to play that night being Roger, affected by the conditions. He was, what, had diarrhea or something? That's, that was my theory. He had a lot of Djokovic 10 Djokovic was puking. Yeah. Rafa bowed out after two sets. Somebody else, right. Ferrer? Yep, he had to give up in that first up. round one. So, so yeah, we'll see. I, uh, I don't know. Who's going to win the bracket challenge? Uh, I got Osaka right, so I think I may have cracked the top 100. I'll check while you lead into our... Finally, good news and bad news. Um, so I have a lot of news. I'm going to try to go through them quickly. One of my small... Lightning round. Wait, you got to sing. Good news and bad news. We're doing it really fast right now. Okay, so Elizabeth sent me... Friend of the show. Friend of the show. Two-time guest of the show. Sent me these cute little postcards from a convention that she went to. And... They made my week. There's one that's a really cute cartoon of a red panda, which is my favorite animal. And then there is this really cute one of Yuri on Ice. But most importantly, there's a little um, speech bubble that you can like stick onto things that says Glee was a mistake, which is just the truest words that have ever been spoken. That's like your new catchphrase. Glee was you a two? mistake. Yes. Um... Holy shit! I came in fourth. What? Nationally. What do you win for that? Oh my god, if I had come in... Oh my god. What do you win for that? Oh. Out of how many? What's nationally mean? I don't know. Well, in the men's, I'm 4,000, so I assume... Holy crap. Good job, baby, because nobody else thought Osaka was going to win, probably. So yeah, only three people worldwide picked... Um, Good job, babe. I'm so proud of you. Better brackets than me. Live reaction here on the podcast. Oh today. my gosh. Oh my gosh. Okay, you oh keep going. I want to see what I could have won. It's probably nothing. Probably nothing. But they had like tiebreakers and everything. A computer sponsored by IBM. Whew. Oh you boy. Make it? Wow. It's the happiest I've so ever seen you. I'm proud of myself. It's the happiest I've ever seen you. I had such a good feeling about Nishikori and Osaka. 
I and, no, I had the good feeling about Nisha Corey. You had like mediocre feelings about him. Yeah. Um. Gosh. What else was I gonna say? Oh, I was gonna segue into if anybody wants a cursed child ticket in October <laughs> for the in New York City, uh, hit me up because I can no longer go because of my new job. So, if you'd like a ticket and you'd like to pay me like three hundred dollars, let me know, please. Cause I need to sell it, or if you know any anybody. Um. Yeah, I guess that's the bad news. I got loads of good news. Okay. Um, Darren Chris. Yeah. Not new music, but new recording of of an old cover of his, "One Fine Day," which is like not my favorite cover of his, but it's a good one. Um, he uploaded a new video and like nicer sounding recording of it on Friday, which ended up being really good timing because I had a really shitty class with one of my grades on Friday and I saw it right afterwards during my prep period so it was a nice little way to make my day um are you gonna talk about Colin Kaepernick uh no he wasn't on my list actually oh okay well the Colin Kaepernick Nike deal um the commercial was a little bit strange but I'm just happy that um even if the NFL won't recognize him and give him anything that Nike is um, oh my god, we could have won a three-day trip next year! What? To where? Oh. Total of eight prizes available to be won. Oh. To the Open? Yeah, to New York 2019. Dream, Round two. I'm so... Wait! I might get a gift card? I'm so confused. No. It's whenever you submitted it. Oh. So since you submitted it early, you could have won the big one. God damn it. Wait, but there are eight prizes available. Yeah, round one, two, three, and four. Oh. God damn it. But still, you could have won. Oh my god. Trip to the U.S. Open, we were this close. Sloane Stevens fucking screwed me. Who would you have picked instead of her? No, if Sloane had beat Serena, I would have gotten those points. Yeah, so you should have picked Serena. Yeah. If you picked someone, oh. everyone won. My God. We could have gone to the U.S. Open next year. <sighs> okay. I'm still very proud of you. Thanks. Okay, we can move There's on. There's nothing worse than... The only thing worse than coming in dead last is coming like in second. Which is basically <sighs> what just happened. Wow. Maybe the other people won't be able to go, and it'll bump down to you. Fourth place. Not even a medal. Okay. Um... Kamala Harris was my other good news. Um, the way that she grilled um, Brett Kavanaugh. Mm -hmm. I watched some of her um, interview with him or what are you, questioning, cross questioning, yeah. whatever. And um, she was just amazing. Like just straight faced, like asking him, like going right at him, just like asking him over and over the same questions when he wouldn't answer the questions. And he was just being super cagey and awkward. And try not to answer questions and she would just not let it go. Like she was just asking the same exact question over and over or phrasing it differently, but like still trying to get an answer from him. And some of the ways that she did it was just brilliant. Like she was just not having his bullshit and it was just very empowering to watch the way that she just like would not let go and just went at him. And do these things ever achieve anything or is it just, is it just to prove a point? Um, I mean, it achieved that I watched it. Okay. Otherwise, I would not have cared about the proceedings. Like, it achieved the but awareness still, level. But still, she would have to convince, like, what, 15 senators or something to actually sway it? 
Well, yeah, what they're what the Democrats and sane other sane people are pushing for is not like throwing him in jail. It's that they want to postpone the hearings because there are like thousands of emails and documents that are being kept classified for no reason by executive order. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's all these Democrats that are threatening to leak things to the press. I thought Cory Booker did that. He did some of it, but gotcha. he doesn't have access to the confidential ones. Gotcha. So he leaked what he had okay. um, and came out in, in the session saying he was going to leak them, like was not subtle about it. Right. And then... But there's a whole bunch that are classified that nobody's been able to look at. Even the people on the committee haven't been able to look at it. Mm. So the point of her questioning him is to try and convince other committee committee members that this guy doesn't know what he's talking about or that he's lying intentionally because he was very obviously lying about um, having met with lawyers about... um, What's the guy? um, Trump's lawyer? Um, Cohen? I think so. It was like about his lawsuit or something yeah that he had been involved in that and he was basically like um well i don't know everybody that worked at that firm so i can't she was like no i'm asking did you meet with any of the lawyers and he was like well you'd have to give me a name because i don't remember the specific lawyer she's like how about you give us a name and i'll tell right. you if they I work did, there i didn't hear about that exchange. yeah and then the other one was trying to get him to talk about roe v wade um and he was basically like, well, uh, other justices other times have refused to comment on that, so I'm going to use that same power. And she was like, okay, then if you're not going to comment that, can you tell me if you can think of any laws that regulate men's bodies? And he was like, well, <laughs> the government. And, that, and she was like, no, I'm asking, do you know of any laws off the top of your head that have government regulations over a man's body? And he was like, I can't think of one off the top of my head. And she was like, okay, thanks. So, she was just amazing. Good. So, yeah. I don't know that it's going to achieve anything, but I felt like, oh, someone in government knows what they're doing and knows that the stuff that's going on is not okay. Yeah. Those are my good news. Okay. You did all your bad news, too? No, I didn't do any bad news yet. Okay. I'll go through mine real quick. Do your good news. Well, first good news, just go on YouTube, look up Goose Day. Just leave it oh at that. Oh my gosh. Just leave I, it at you're that. You're putting that as good news? That was weird news. That was weird news. Good, uh, Goose Day from what country was it? Spain, I don't of know. Course. What city was it in? Oh, I don't know. I don't remember the city name. So strange. Yeah, I won't even try to describe it, but mm. definitely I'll, I'll try and share the video yeah. on, on our Twitter. Uh, parental advisory on that. Uh, so Shohei Pita Otani. Advisory. Yeah, Shohei Otani is my good and bad news, as always. Yeah. Uh, he made his comeback to pitching... Two weeks ago, he's still been hitting home runs like a couple a week. Uh, survived two innings on that outing, and now is going to have Tommy John surgery for the injury that he had three months ago. Yikes. So he will not pitch for about 12 months now. So how are you feeling about that uh, fantasy choice? I don't know what to do now. Um, the other worthwhile follow-up from last week, the Oscars dropped <laughs> their popular film. Good thing we remembered to talk about it before it they got over. rid of it. But yeah, that's gone. So there's, you know, the social media 24-hour news cycle helping you out. It kills dumb ideas before they ever actually see the light of day. Were we going to talk about the concerts that we went to? Oh yeah, sure. Because we don't have to. You didn't go to the first one with me. What other concert did you go to? Last week? The reason we didn't do a podcast? Oh yeah, T-Swift. Yeah, T-Swizzle. Um, I was, like, super close to her. Like, one row away from her on the B stage, as is my preferred You love yourself some B stage. I do. 
indoor fireworks, you said. Indoor fireworks and indoor fire. You came home with bracelets, colored bracelets. bracelets that probably are still blinking. Yeah. And Matt Nathanson in OAR last night? Yep. Question mark about the OAR? Go see OAR for John Langley, the trumpet yes. player. Yes. I want to check out his jazz band as well Do you now. what it was called? The Hunter, Tone, Hunter Tones. I thought he was saying Hunger Tones. I thought he said Hundred Tones, but I looked it up. Hundred Tones? Hunter Tones. <laughs> okay. Hunter Tones. Um, but Matt Nathanson yep. has some new music and it's great. Yep. He's an old man doing man folk, but and it's good stuff. And they love it, and he knows it. Yeah. He's very self-aware very about it. Funny He's one and a half still. hits. Yeah. Bad All news right. is... Hit me with bad news. The, I've got a lot of these, and they're pretty serious. Um, I'm going to go from, like, I guess the least... Uh, I can't even really grade them. One of them is not really news, but it's something that I found out this week that was really disturbing. Can you guess what it is? Um. On Wednesday night, I found it out at Trivia. No, I forget. Naya Rivera dated Jada Oh, yeah. Spade? That was uncomfortable. So gross. The trivia the... question was, who, what SNL former star dated all these people? And it was listing people from like four decades of entertainment. Yes, they went from like Heather Locklear to yeah. Naya Rivera. Yeah. And I was just like, what the hell? And we got I, the answer right. And then I was like, I should know everything about Naya Rivera. Because it was no, from the Glee days. Because that gets dark real quick. Knowing everything about her, yeah, I, I don't. I never like didn't want to read her book, but I'm just saying. I, I feel Talking like about all, all the legal issues she had with the the other guy daddy. and stuff. Yeah, I'm just. I'm just saying. Like, I, I feel like I would have known like the major news of who she was dating because mm. I like vaguely keep up with her. But anyways, the pool pictures were very gross. Do not look them up. Mm. Um, Ariana Grande got groped by a pastor at Aretha Franklin's funeral. Oh gosh, yeah, that's old news that's now. Like the but... weirdest sentence I've ever said out loud. But people were trying to say, oh, he was just putting his arm around her. Are men not allowed to touch women anymore in any platonic way? But if you watch the video, the dude comes back for like seconds and thirds. Like he puts his arm around her. You can see his fingers. Like, oh, God. Oh, up, God. Yeah. Creeping up around her breast. And then he pulls her closer. And she is like very obviously leaning away from him and like doing an awkward chuckle and trying to get him to let her go. And then he like lets her go and then comes back again and like even more firmly like grabs her boob. I don't want to trivialize what happened. But he, like, spoiled a pretty decent Taco Bell joke by doing this shit. Yeah. He had a pretty good grande joke and... Also, probably mm. kind of offensive that he made a Mexican stereotype joke to her. Yeah. You're saying it's better when James Corden brought her to Starbucks to make a grande joke. Yes. Cause okay. that She's is, not Italian. I was gonna... She's not, not fake Italian. That's not, like, ethnically inappropriate. <laughs> um, I feel like I need to apologize to all Romanians for whatever accent I did before. I think it was Mickey Mouse. Okay, we'll go with that. Um, oh, I can't even put these in any order. Um, did you hear about Jermel Miles, the nine-year-old who committed suicide because his classmates bullied him for being gay? Yes. That's sad. I don't even have anything else to say about that, except no. that it's like the most depressing news I've ever heard. Hmm. Um, U.S. citizens being denied passports if they live along the Mexican border and are of Hispanic descent. That seems fishy. Yeah. And also, tra a trans woman was denied a passport that has um, woman as the gender mm -hmm. because they said she needed to prove her gender, even though eight years ago she like did all the forms and got everything changed. And mm -hmm. now they're refusing to let her renew her passport as a woman. So there's a lot and of... I thought I went through a hassle by having to go to the UPS store. There's a lot of like really sketchy shit going on with passports and with um, citizenship right now that is very scary and fascist and... Um, 
guess I feel very privileged that I don't have to deal with that, but mm -hmm. it just is very scary and I don't really know what to do about it. But And my last two are related to marine life. Okay. Um, in Maine, a baby seal was drowned because a man saw it on the beach and decided it needed to be back in the water and dragged it by its back flippers into the water and like, like held it down in the water and wouldn't let it come back oh. on the shore and it died. Seals need air, correctly? Yes. Correct? And if a baby seal's hauled out, it means it's just tired from swimming and it's just mm. taking a break. It's just taking a nap because they can't like sleep you in the water like a dolphin intentions, can. Though. I don't know. Either he didn't have good intentions or he's just a fucking idiot because like I understand if you think you're saving a baby seal or something, but like call nine on one. Call yeah. someone. Like they'll connect you to like the marine um mammal rescue place and they will deal with it. Like there are people here to deal with it and all the beaches at least in new hampshire that i've seen they used to have all these like big posters up about who, who to call if for a, a sea life stranding yeah so to me there's no excuse for that type of behavior even if you think you're helping if you know that you don't know a lot about the subject that you're not an authority on it then maybe you shouldn't be doing it i'll give you one guess of the gender and ethnicity of the person um, I'm going to say it was a white dude. Yes. Okay. Who thinks he knows everything Saving probably. The world. And was just like, I'm going to save this seal. And killed it. Okay. Related. Yep. More water bad news. Yes. The humpback whale owl. Yeah. Was the humpback whale that I like personally know. Did I adopt that one? Oh uh, no, yours was pinball, wasn't it? Yeah. Was it? Hmm. He had three dots. Or was it ladder? Mm. Was that a fin whale or a humpback whale? Fin whale, I think. Mm, then it might have been ladder. Yeah. Anyways, so owl is one of the adoptable whales from the nonprofit that I used to work at. Uh, I've ruined this for my children at work this week, but you can't actually adopt the animal. It's symbolic. Well, I got confused as a young child starting with highways because I'd just be, be driving and I'd be, Mom, what, what did this highway's parents do to it that they're so <laughs> desperate for people to adopt? Yeah, well, same thing with the animal. You can't actually take the whale into your home, but mm. you can symbolically, like, foster it. Anyways, it was just swimming, minding its own business, trying to eat, and one of the whale watch boats that I used to work on was watching it, and fishermen came up right next to it and deployed their nets, like, around the whale to try and catch the fish that the whale was eating. Mm -hmm. And the whale got entangled in the net for, like, hours, and they had to call the Coast Guard or the NOAA or whoever, and eventually they let the net down and let the whale get away. But a lot of the quotes are like, it's the most blatant, intentional whale harassment that they've yeah. ever seen in 60 plus years. You're literally next to boats where people are paying to watch whales. Yeah. And you're, yeah. So really stupid and just really brazen and just like, you're, I understand that you probably have quotas and you have kids to feed and whatever, but... It's their territory. Yeah. It's their food. Don't just, like, try and catch them in a net because you want the food instead. Yeah. <sighs> it's going to be the longest podcast of all time. Okay. We don't even have a guest. Well, we don't need to do an advertisement. We'll just say go to bookdigits.com. And the Bookdigits Insta. Yeah. Thanks. Okay. Main segments now. 47 minutes in. Okay, Mary. I think we should do the movie. Was that Mickey Mouse as Jimmy Stewart? I can't do any of my voices anymore. What's oh, happening Mary. tonight? Oh, Mary, let's do the movie. A little better. Uh -huh. um, so the movie we're doing is a movie that I've been very excited to see for 
months for Mm -hmm. not really an explicable reason aside from... um, You're an ally. From Constance Wu. Okay, that I have a little bit of a crush on her. Mm -hmm. Um, She's the only good thing about Fresh Off the Boat. I haven't watched very much of that show. Fresh Off the Boat? No, because that's on airplanes. That's what you always say. That's your usual go-to. It's an airplane show. Um, But I really like her from that show. I think she's really cute and she's a really good actress. She has good good comedic timing. Mm -hmm. Um, So. We saw the movie. We saw Crazy Rich Asians. Mm Mm-hmm. So I was very excited to see it just for her and just to see more Asian leading roles and literally all Asians yep. all, in all the roles. Yep. Um, and she was fine. Mm-hmm. She, I, don't, I wouldn't say she was the best she part of the movie. She didn't steal the show. She didn't steal the show, but she was likable enough and charming and a pretty good actress. Mm-hmm. Um, Piglin stole the show. Yeah. Like possibly the best best friend character in any romantic comedy of all time. Yes, I was going to say I really liked and enjoyed the relationship between, um, who's the male character? What's his name? Gosh, we've seen it a week ago now. Um, Young. Nick Young. Nick Young. I really liked the interaction between Nick and the guy getting married. I thought they had a great friendship as well. So I think one of the movie's strengths was the friendships. For sure. And I think that's something that movies can struggle with sometimes because they either just play it for laughs or it doesn't really feel like it has any heart or depth to it. Yeah. And I think they did a good job, you're right, with the, the male friendship. Because I think sometimes they either skew way too broy of like, oh, naked girls and farts. Right. Or they skew the other way and it's just like, doesn't seem realistic to real like, male Like the movie I Love You, Man? Yeah. Mm. Or just, they try to make it too... Um, too emotional with right. the men, which isn't necessarily realistic to most of the men and their friendships that I know of. Sure. So I thought this one hit the right notes for that. Um, I just loved Piglin. Mm-hmm. And I loved her family. Extended I gonna, family. I was going to call her white trash, but then I realized like the better equivalent is cashed up bogans. Meaning they have money? Like the Australian rednecks yeah. that then come into money from mining or whatever. So like right. new money, like new money... Australian rednecks, yeah, cash up bogans. Mm-hmm. That's the best equivalent, I think. That's right. Of like new money, so people that have money but no taste, essentially. Yeah. Um. So that was amazing. Yeah. Did Ken? Did we need Ken Jeong? No. Probably not. I think it would have been fine with just the mom. I didn't even like the creepy brother. He, he didn't really work for me. Um. He had a couple of great moments, but his creepiness left me unsettled. I would Too say. Too creepy. I don't yeah. like. Especially with a camera phone at the end. I was going to say, I think that the movie, for the most part, felt very um, current or didn't feel like it had that many problematic things in it for a Mm rom-com. But that was one of the parts that I thought was a bit problematic was how often his stalkeriness or his um, inappropriateness was played for laughs when it comes off as... Uh, invading people's privacy. Yep. Ha 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 ha. Isn't that hilarious that he went to a room and took pictures of her sleeping? Like, no, mm-hmm. that's creepy. Yeah. I feel like you're not expressing your, the amount of enthusiasm you had for this movie. Oh. Coming um, out of it. I'm just getting a little tired. I had I used all my energy on this tennis rant earlier. My big takeaway is that, yeah, it was, you know, a terrific rom-com. One Definitely the, the best. best one I've seen recently. One of the best rom-coms 
that I've ever seen and definitely the best one in the last decade. Yeah, I do have to say that, you know, when we were talking about um, the movie, uh, now I forget its name, Sorry to Bother You. Yeah. Um, like that movie had me thinking a week later when we talked about it on the podcast. This one I thought about the next day and then haven't thought about it and since. And now I'm having a hard time remembering all the details. Yeah. But I think... It's going to be great on TV. I will sit down meant, and watch oh, yes. half portions of it on I television I think that's meant, it's meant to be... Uh, that's what rom-coms are a little bit more meant to be a little bit more forgettable. They're not necessarily meant to have the, these very complex societal themes. Although this one did have some of them. I, I thought this one hit also hit a good balance of being fun to watch like with mm-hmm. all the really cool settings and the cool clothes and the parties and everything but also still having like the you had emotional... Jin Yang too yes that's <laughs> weird but having the emotional um undertones and balance as well yeah. like, i think that some rom-coms or the movie i'm thinking of is not necessarily a rom-com but the great gatsby movie mm-hmm. fun to watch yep in terms of the actual acting and emotions and stuff like so so yeah whereas this one i thought it did a good job of having that extravagance and like pretty scenery and stuff Mm -hmm. but still like i cried a lot lots of tourism for singapore lots of tourism for singapore lots of good family dynamics as well but what i was most impressed with was that i think a lot of rom-coms or traditional ones play that the woman has to like change herself like for example the end of greece Mm-hmm. Maybe also not really rom-com, but the end of Greece, it's like she has to change her hair and her outfit so that he falls in love with her. Mm-hmm. It, and I feel like that's kind of a common trope in rom-coms is that like the woman needs to change for the man or she has to give up something or sacrifice something for yeah. the man. She has to give up her career, like Rachel getting off that fucking plane in Friends. Right. That's confusing because her name's Rachel in this Oh, yeah. Too. Sorry. Like in Friends, like... It's this big romantic gesture that she gave up this amazing career opportunity just so she could go back to Ross. Like, Yeah, in this movie, I mean, Rachel is pretty much the most kind of stable character. Like, her character doesn't evolve a ton. She's waiting for everyone else to figure out. Right, and her evolution yeah. is is gaining that self-confidence that she's the in the right, right and that she doesn't isn't the one that needs to change to, to meld the situation, that she's yeah. actually doing what she's supposed to be doing. And I thought that was really empowering because I think a lot of rom-coms sometimes are a cute romancy story, but, like, there's a little part of you that's she's like... She's going to yeah. get the guy. She's going to have to win him over somehow. Yeah, that, like, yeah, there's this part of you that's kind of, like, it plays into a lot of misogynistic ideas about what it means to be a woman. Um, and I was just reading something on Twitter about how often, like, women have to be this, like perfect specimen to earn the the man's love and affection or whatever and in this case she wasn't perfect but she made him better and she was the perfect person to deal with the situation in the end i have to say like i understand why the movie has to be set up the way it is so that when she gets to singapore she gets a lot of surprises really quickly but if i'm her I'm, like, having serious doubts about Mr. Nick if he has been that secretive about his family and the way he dumps all of that on her, you know, during the trip. Like, I could, I never forgave him for that during the movie. I kind of agree with you because I, I did have a hard time. Like, how can you trust him if he's been if he's been hiding this information from you for two years. See, it's not even that part. It's more that he, if he's going to hide it and they're going to live in New York and his family's always going to be a step away, okay, but the fact that he was bringing her into it and knew 
that she was going to be directly into it and did not give her That's fair warning. That's the part that I had a problem with, that he was like, oh, she'll handle it, Girl, it'll be fine. ex-girlfriends, mothers, grandmothers. Like, you don't forget that quickly. You know what your family's like, and yeah. I think a lot of it was he was afraid she wouldn't come or she would leave if she knew. Sure. But they didn't really play that off. They kind of just had him be a little bit blasé about the yeah. whole thing. Um, I, I Your sister went with us, and I know mm-hmm. she was like, oh, that's ridiculous that she wouldn't know that he was rich. Mm. But that part I actually found realistic. I have some friends that I did not have any idea that they were wealthy. Especially if it's outside of the country where you're living. Especially if it's outside of the country. Even outside of the state. I'm thinking of like a college friend that I had too. That like just, I only saw them in a small area. Sure. And then when I went to their house for the first time, I was just like, holy shit. Yeah. Especially since Nick was trying to make his own life in the States, it makes sense that he wouldn't flaunt it or rely on that money. Right. So I I found it realistic, or at least in terms of my own experiences, that it wouldn't necessarily be obvious that someone is wealthy if they're living away from their family, Mm -hmm. where the, the wealth is coming from. But... Yeah, the fact that he just was going to throw her to the wolves was, like, a little bit much. And, and you're right. It had to be like that for the setup, but it did kind of bring his character into question. Mm. But he's the one that had to change the most. Definitely. In the movie. And I'm not saying that... Oh, no, the mother other, has to change the most. The mother, yeah. But I'm not saying, like, guys in other rom-coms don't have to change. But I think that he was the one that needed to, like, get his, Like, you better shape up. Yeah, no. In many ways, together. it was a reverse rom-com. Because usually it's the guy trying to convince the the girl's parents that he's the right person. Yeah, like meet the parents. So the biggest question that did linger in my mind was around the mother, and less about the family dynamics, but more her attacks on America I was fascinated with. About the cultural clash and her opinions about how Americans were were kind of like digging their own holes with their obsessions with their own dreams. And then the best line I thought the mo- about the mo- from the movie was about how America doesn't build anything to last. And I don't know if she was, you know, speaking in physical terms or metaphorical terms or government terms or what, but I find that so true because you think about where do people go for tourism and stuff. They go to Europe to go see old stuff. Or Asia to go see old or stuff. Or go to Asia like to Chinese, see old stuff. Like Chinese dynasties yes. and stuff. Like America, when we were in Australia, we were like, wow, Australia's a baby. It's only been around for a hundred and something years. Sure. But America is a baby compared to all of them. It's only been around for like 300 years. Right. Not even. And maybe, maybe one World Trade Center will stand for... A thousand years and people Jesus. will go to it. It's a bad example. And I'm saying like that's the last thing I can think of that was built with like a real purpose in mind. Like you go see the Statue of Liberty. That is hundreds Washington, of years. Sure. Yeah. Like okay. the monuments in Washington, D.C. Right. When's the last time we built a monument at that scale just for the sake but of But that's the point is that you can't even build it. them now because it would be new now. It would be like the fucking U.S. Bank Stadium. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think anyone's going to come in a thousand years to come see U.S. Bank Stadium. No. Hmm. So that really hit you? Yeah. Yeah, it was cool. I think I appreciated it more having lived in Australia, which has more of an Asian influence than the places in the U.S. that I've lived. Yeah. So I thought it was more interesting. I feel like I had a little bit more of context for some of the stuff than I would have. And you got like a little history lesson in it too, because I assumed wrongly that the movie would take place in China. But it doesn't. It takes place in Singapore, which has its own 
dynamics mm-hmm. and its own history. It reminded me of that book that you made me read that I didn't like, The Expatri- Expatriates, Expatriates yep. which is actually Hong Kong, wasn't it? Not Correct, Kong. but it's similar kind of... Similar dynamic yeah. of um, people from different Asian countries and mm-hmm. even America going there and having their own society yeah. and their own parts of their culture there. Um, the best advertisement for it was that night market. Yeah. The street there food, the food there. Oh, yeah. it so good. Um, mm. Would this have been as good of a movie mm. if it was white people? Because it sounds like from your last statement that... Yeah, no, I don't think so. Because supposedly they, they originally tried to write, whitewash it. Like out of the hundred, maybe not hundreds, out of the many, many studios that like mm. tried to option it, only one was going to keep it like a Chinese story hmm. like an asian story the rest of them wanted to whitewash it and use the idea of the story but have it just be like in la or new york or something and have like that would have been terrible or in europe or whatever so just with the idea that the mother was super rich and didn't want her son marrying so. a poor girl but how many story? how many times have you seen that story about yeah about up at the upper east side in new york or about royalty in mm-hmm. in um the uk or there's whatever. a lot of jennifer lopez movies that we've seen the first 10 minutes of where she is not meeting someone's standards right so how many times have you seen that with mexican americans mm. or whatever for yeah i'm sorry is she actually mexican latina latina sure um latin americans that's not the right word either that's okay anyways um but i haven't ever seen that story played out like this in Asian culture, mm-hmm. Chinese culture. So I thought it was fantastic. And it's also one of the, one of those things that's like, it's such bullshit that people think that white people won't go see a movie if they don't recognize a white face in the movie. Like the best movies that I've seen this past year have been with primarily uh, casts of color. Mm-hmm. Black Panther. Yep. One of the best movies I saw. Was that this year? Right? Yep. February. Crazy Rich Asians now, which had an all-Asian cast. This one, I thought... I really enjoyed the acting in Crazy Rich Asians. I wouldn't say that it was, like, award-winning or, like, technically brilliant acting, but it came across in a way... Like, I would compare it almost to, um... Like, what Master of None was trying to do, where it kind of had tried to give a natural vibe to it. a little bit of a mockumentary type thing, or... Yeah. Like a, um... Just more natural, I guess, rather yeah. than, you know, reading off of a script. It that, didn't feel very scripted. That's what I felt about Constance Wu was that it she wasn't overacting it, which I appreciate. Because once again, in rom-coms, I think yeah. it tends to be overacted. That's right. They weren't overacting. So I yeah. think, yeah, I think it was coming off as natural and coming off as more of a, this could have really happened or this could be someone's real life. I do have to say, I, I am happy, certainly, that the movie is doing so well. Um... Being a white person, I have to say on a few, in a few shots, I was confused about who was who. For the men, I think only. On a couple instances, especially two with- friends Ast- similar. And with Astrid's husband, the first time he was on screen, I was confused about oh, who he was. Oh, I didn't have a problem with him. I think you just weren't paying enough attention at that That's part. probably true. But the two friends, the one that was getting married and then the other friend, they did look very similar. Yeah, there were- I was getting were... confused with them. I always love to rate movies and books based on how many extra characters they have that they don't need. Okay. And this one had about two or three, I would say. Like, I didn't think you needed Jin Yang plus other crazy friends as well. Yeah, I still don't think you needed um, Piglin's dad. What's the first name? Yeah. Ken Chung. Ken Chung. Um, um, the soundtrack, are we going to talk about that? Yeah, really good. Yeah. 
I need mm. to download the soundtrack. I really liked it. Um, yeah. Are we going to Go talk ahead. about your um, sexual orientation confusion about this movie? Um, I just left the theater most attracted to the men that were in the movie. And yeah. as you told me, it had a female gaze. So I think that's a reasonable reaction to so have. So many gratuitous scenes of um, Nick Young with his shirt off. Like... Like just she spilled wine on him yeah, just just, just for, that. for that scene, and it yeah. was worth it. Let me tell you. Yeah. And then there was that scene of them that could have taken place anywhere, and instead it took place on an island where they had to be shirtless. Yep. Like there was, I mean, the there was, it was mostly female gaze because there's a lot of men in various shades of undress, mm -hmm. and also just like fancy outfits for the girls. Yep. Like the the body oh, shots. Yeah. Of, the body shots of the girls were. Um, for their fun clothes and not for their sexual the, yeah, attraction. The, the costume director should win an Oscar, I would for say. For sure. And the sets. Is there like a set director or something? Set designer? Something, yeah. Because that was amazing oh, yeah. too. I, the other thing I walked out of the theater thinking was that it checked a lot of the boxes or had a lot of the tropes of rom-coms without making them feel cliche. And mm -hmm. I don't know if that was just a good story and a good director or if that's because it was a unique setting of having it be in Singapore, which... I don't know that I've ever seen a movie set in Singapore, but mm -hmm. like it had the 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 one I'm thinking of right now off the top of my head is like that dressing room scene where they change clothes and there's fun music playing in the background, yeah. like that kind of thing. But it didn't feel trite and overdone like a lot yeah. of times that does. It felt really fresh, and I think I think of a lot of there was a lot of other tropes of um, I don't know the best friend and the sure. family and the the gay the, the ex girlfriend the ex girlfriend mm -hmm. and a lot of that the dead it, fish that's a common trope. <laughs> Dead fish and things written in blood. Um, so the B storyline with the cheating husband, though, did not really do it for me. I think they're talking about sequels and stuff. I feel like that needed its own movie to really develop. Yeah, I think they were just trying to kind of show that it's everything's not perfect, even if you look perfect. And you have the money in the... But yeah. I think it needed to either be less or more. Yeah. Like, it needed to either have its own story... Or it needed to be just a little bit more hinted at and not been so focused on because they did feel like a little bit of a split focus. Yeah. Because the two storylines, you know, overlapped in the sense that everyone was going to this wedding, even though none of the family members were actually the ones getting married, which yeah. I thought was a little bit funny. Uh, but other than that, they're really two independent stories. Yeah. Okay. Neither of us read the book, though. You're not inspired to go read the book? Someone um, coming out of the theater said, that was nothing like the book. I kind of do want to read the book because I want to read this. Isn't there a sequel? Uh, yes. Yep. It has a similar title. I don't know if it's a direct sequel or not. Um, so I w am interested to read the book. I'm not like in a hurry to run out and read it. This is maybe not the first book, but one of the first books where I did really did not care about reading the book before I saw the movie. Mm-hmm. Because I usually don't like to do that because then the book is less exciting because I already know what's going to happen. But in this case, the main reason I wanted to see the movie was because of Constance Wu. So I was fine with seeing the movie first. But I'll right. probably read the book sometime. But no, I'm not going to like push it up on my to-read list. You know how I'm looking at my to-read pile of like eight books right now. And my to-read list on booktages.com is... Well, children, while we're talking about the books... Are we going into books now? Let's make a segue. No, yeah. I'm going into the family guy, the family old guy, man. The family guy, creepy old man, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, the book we're talking about today is a book that I read quite a while ago and just reread just this week for the podcast. 
and recommended to you a while ago. Yeah. You're getting kind of the, to the dregs of the to-read list I had made for you. Yep. A couple it's almost years ago. emptied out. And you're not going to take any more recommendations from me? As, as long as Rainbow Royale doesn't release anything in the next two months, I think I can clear them all out. I will still take recommendations okay. from you. So the book that we're reading is, or the, that we read... Welcome to book club, folks! Is Take out your copy. <laughs> Tell the Wolves I'm Home by Carol Rifka Brunt. Discussion questions. So as is often the case on this podcast, I really liked this book both the first read and the reread, and you were kind of mad about it. This book's fine. It had the potential to be really good, which is a common thing I say, I guess, about a lot of books that I find mediocre. It does have discussion questions, doesn't it? Yeah. Do you want to <laughs> read them? No. Um, but no, it's not a great book. It's a debut novel. I think she played it too safe in a lot of cases. You wanted them to actual have actually have a sexual relationship? What? Okay, you need to contextualize a little bit. <laughs> I will say this about the book. Yes, it it um, investigated love in a way that I've never read or heard or seen in any other form of media. Where I guess I can sort of describe it. It talks about a family sort of love, which goes beyond a typical family bond, but doesn't cross into Weird incestual... Batteries. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's good. Forget a lot of context if they don't know what we're talking about. So mm. it's a the book focuses on June, who's like fourteen, and she is very close with her uncle, who's her godfather, and he you find out pretty early on that he's dying of AIDS. Well, the interesting thing, the other really the thing that I really liked about this book was that the his name is Finn. Yes. Uh Uncle Finn. He is like the key character in the whole book, but he is dead from page one. So you never actually see him in the present tense. Oh, you're right. He's dead from page one. Yep. Anyway, so he dies of AIDS, and this it's set in the mid-80s, mm -hmm. um, when the AIDS crisis was really just getting to a tipping point. And it specifically says in the book that moment when Ronald Reagan finally like talks about it mm -hmm. in a press conference. Um, too little, too late, but... It does discuss that in the book. Um, so there's a lot of secrecy and shame around the idea of having AIDS. And mm -hmm. um, even her own parents like didn't really talk about that Finn was gay or how he got AIDS or anything. And then you find out that at his funeral, that his partner of however many years... That he had a partner. The narrator partner, doesn't even know. That he had a partner and the partner wasn't welcome at the funeral and wasn't welcome... Like, there wasn't... Um, Embraced by the family. Because they believe that he's the one who infected. Yeah. yeah. Um, so there's a lot of blaming going on um, about who's responsible for Finn dying and um, the, some of the life choices that he made, including Toby, the partner. Um, those would be such two good cat or dog names. Toby and Finn. Toby and Finn. Mm -hmm. Um... So yeah, it, it is. It centers, like you said, on Finn has already died, and it's a lot of um, June, the main character, processing that, yep. and how it affects the relationship with her older sister, her, who's going yeah. through some shit. Her parents and too. her parents, and how she kind of develops this relationship with Toby, uh, her uncle's partner, that she never knew, um, never even knew existed, mm -hmm. and how she finds that a lot of the things that she thought were her uncle were actually his partner. Like, she kind of um, 
lumped them together as one person because she didn't know about Toby. Mm -hmm. So she thought it was all Finn, but she was kind of had to relearn like what parts of that was actually her uncle and get to know him a little bit better even after his death mm -hmm. and then get to know Toby as his own individual person. And there's a lot of questions about the motivations behind their relationship. Like, are they both just doing it because they think that Finn would want them to? Is there any actual love or affection between the two of them independent from Finn dying? And then, like you said, there's this question of love of um, this crush that June, the girl, had on her uncle because he was this cool person who really saw her for her and respected her for her weird interests and likes yeah, and he's an eccentric artist he's an eccentric artist he like is, lives in the city he's mm -hmm. very cultured and cosmopolitan and how you know the little town in connecticut that she lives in nobody's like that so she gets this kind of larger than life crush on him because he treats her special and understands her mm -hmm. and um gets kind of a romantic crush on him even though he's her uncle and he's gay right and then that kind of transfers a little bit over onto toby which is the only time where it toes the line a little bit because it's like an older, like, person in his 30s, I assume? Yeah, I'd say at least, probably. He was meant to be younger than Finn, though. Okay. They talked about it. Mm. That he was quite a bit younger. Okay. So I'd say he's probably in his 30s, and she was 14. So yeah. that, uh, the only inappropriateness, really, is that, like, she's seeing an older man and concealing it from her parents. Yeah. Especially since her parents explicitly told her not to interact with this person. Mm -hmm. Um... But yeah, she transfers that crush a little bit over onto Toby because she realizes that a lot of the things that she loved about her uncle actually came from her uncle's partner. And she just never knew it. Mm -hmm. um, and there's some really nice, slightly awkward but in a nice way moments where Toby kind of tells her that they knew that she had these feelings for her uncle and they weren't going to really judge her for it and were just going to still continue to have a relationship with her. And, mm -hmm. um yeah, so you didn't. You thought the book was missing something or didn't quite reach its potential? Yeah, I mean, part of it is stylistic. Um, I didn't love the writing approach to it. Um, the first, narr first person narration was fine, but June's voice is just very kind of blasé to me. Like, it's very emotional, but like there's no humor in it or anything, really. Um, See, I thought that worked for me because I thought she had a very 14-year-old girl kind of voice. Like, I thought that... Um, that kind of rang true to what I would imagine of a girl that age who's like kind of has still these some childish interests sure. but is like trying to be an adult and be more mature and I don't know I felt that it that it had a it had a specific voice yeah. and whether or not that was a very funny or compelling voice I guess was a little bit um not the primary question for me like it it felt genuine I guess is what okay. I'm saying or I, can I give thought you that. it felt genuine sure. Um, and then for me, her immediate family, a lot of those aspects of the story fell short. Um, Especially with her parents. They could have done a lot more with... I understand that she was concealing a lot from her parents. And as a 14-year-old, you might not confide in your parents very much. But yeah. there was a couple like moments here and there of conversations with her mom and her dad and stuff. But that was really underdeveloped. Especially right. They use this... The author uses this approach where both the parents are... Uh, accountants, so they are absent for all of tax season, and that's when the entire plot of the book happens. It's a very convenient yeah. way to give her free time as a 14-year-old. The other thing is that as the narrator learns through a lot of exposition about what happened in the past between Finn and specifically 
her mom, so brother and sister. That part's kind of sloppy. Like、mm. Finn, like the mother and Finn grow apart because Finn was eighteen and wanted to go live in Europe and be an artist, which seems like an appropriate age to do something like that. And the mother thought that was irresponsible or something. And I think it was that he didn't come back because he didn't come back.、Right. Like he stayed for a long time because you find out later because of Toby, and that's part of the reason she blames Toby because she feels、yeah. like Toby like. Stole her brother away from her, and she never wanted to draw ever again because her brother never came home. Yeah, that part I didn't really get. Like, I kind of, I guess the point was that the dream was a combined dream that the both of them were going to become artists and、sure. get a loft in New York, and that it kind of died when it, or fizzled out when it was just her. But yeah, they so, don't yeah. quite fulfill that storyline either of her mom going back into art or like, yeah you know, her dreams or anything like that. And then. Uh, one other little complaint was about how, like Toby's not just an artist; he is like a rich, famous artist. Finn. Finn, yeah, sorry.、Um, and so, like, he has made all of his money, his entire living, on art. Yeah. And June is unaware that he is a famous artist that is in newspapers and things. That she was kind of aware of it because, like, they used to get special treatment when they went out places. But she、okay. kind of thought that it was just that was just her uncle's thing. Like,、sure. that was just one of his charms was that people just gave him free stuff and gave him like、right. free meals at restaurants and whatever. Um. So yeah, I like cried a lot reading it the second time though. I don't remember. It was years ago that I read it the first time, so I don't、mm. remember if I was that emotional the first time. But I cried a lot reading it. I've been like very.、Uh, Emotionally on edge lately, anyways,、sure. with the stressful new job. But、um, it was just really sad. Like some of the notes that you get that Finn wrote before he died or when he was dying. Yeah, I was a little worried that this was going to turn into that movie when she trapes across Ireland, getting notes from her dead. P.S. I love you. Yeah, I was worried it was going to be that. I got really, really excited about this book when. The, like the center of the plot revolves around one painting in particular, yeah, which is a portrait of June and her sister, yeah, Greta, right? That sounds sure. right. Um, and things start to change about the portrait,、mm-hmm. and there's a little bit of a mystery of who did it, who done it,、mm-hmm. and where. How are these changes happening? And I was like, almost getting excited for a little bit of magical realism, and it's all explained away. Pretty straightforwardly. Oh, I was fine with that. It's still cool, but I was like, I was like, ooh, I could really get into this if this is gonna get a little funky. How far are you in the book you're reading right now? It's getting funky. Okay, because if、yeah. that's what you're looking for, I think you're gonna like the book that you're reading、mm-hmm. right now. That'll might be next week on the podcast. Okay. No, what it reminded me the most of was the Normal Heart, which made me cry a whole lot too. That HBO movie with,、mm-hmm. um, by Ryan Murphy, right? About、um, the AIDS crisis, obviously. It would remind me of that, but just some of the、uh, dying of AIDS sadness of、mm-hmm. like the notes that left behind and the people that they're leaving behind and the partners that have AIDS that get left behind when the other person dies、mm-hmm. or I don't know, very tragic. And just some of the ways, like at the like I'm not going to spoil the very end, but the very end is really sad too. Of、oh, the book or the movie? The book. What happens at the very end? Oh yeah. That is sad. Just a yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs>、um, you just read this book. Obviously, no, it's kind of forgettable. No, no, you've been a little like, bit behind. Weeks ago, though,、yeah. I'm saying it was years ago that I read it. The Why first time. does the sister go face down into leaves? 
in the forest. Because she can't cope with... In the same exact spot. She can't cope with um, the things that are happening to her in her life. Like, she feels like she's being forced to make these big choices that oh, affect her future. Oh, yeah, there's a future. big Annie subplot. I forgot. <laughs> yes. The sun yes. will come out. So, Tomorrow. did you... Was the... Okay. Quick step back. Um... I've mentioned on the podcast before that I am a sucker for student plays, school plays, school plays as a trope. This one only half delivers. Question being, was the play director abusing, perhaps sexually, the sister? I thought so. Because... Had to be part of her triggering of issues. I thought so. And, like, the idea that just June didn't catch up, catch on to it. Like, she at one point, she, up, she kind of asked the sister, and the sister was like, oh, you're gross, June. But obviously yeah. the sister wasn't really confiding in her at that point. But yeah, the the only drama that she admits to is that the play director wants her to try out for Broadway Annie to be a background child. And, and she's very she's stressed out about and it. And then she becomes, and she's an, becomes an alcoholic. Functioning because alcoholic at 16. Yeah. Hmm. I thought the sister relationship was pretty good, though. I've been... I did like bits of it, yeah. I've been a little bit sick of, like, sister relationships lately because I felt like I read a whole slew of books in a row that went into sisters and twins specifically and mm-hmm. was kind of over it. But I thought this one had a good sister relationship. It reminded me a little bit of the sister relationship in Fangirl where they kind um, of, like, are really close yeah. when they're younger and then they yep. fall apart and That's then come back together. But in a way that works and doesn't feel very either boring or like overly dramatic or whatever. Okay. Um, so I liked. I still like this book. I gave it an A. You gave it an A minus. I gave it a C. Yeah, that sounds about right for our typical mm-hmm. book interaction. What worth reading or not? What would you say to the readers or who would what what would make them like it or what should they be prepared for? Um, I mean, where would it balance if we were to do a book digits metric of? Literary to young adult. I would say it's more literary. Yeah, it's more literary than young adult, which is why I was a little bit surprised that you liked it that much. Hmm. It worked for me. Okay. The narration and some of the stuff that didn't work for you, I guess, worked for me. Just can't so. figure you out. I say the same thing about you with books. All right, let's go Jesus. head into the home stretch. All right. Did you see the, the commercial for Manifest? No. It looks kind of like Lost. Okay. Except that instead of being on an island, these people just come back and find out that the plane that they were on that was lost for five years, like just disappeared for five years and then uh-huh. came back. So it's like, where were they for five years? Okay. So they are on the plane five years later? No, they like, I think they come back to the, come like they fly, they land yeah. back to where, like the airport they're supposed to land at. And it's, it's five, five years, years later. later. Oh, so they, were, they are on the plane at the beginning. Yes. Well, that sounds great. It's like Lost minus the island. Yeah. So I thought you might be into it. Oh my God. The commercial was just like, where have we been for five years? And then there's this flashback to like the plane, like kind of starting to crash, but nobody, like nobody remembers what happened. They're trying to piece together where they were for five years and like what happened. All right. It's almost like a leftovers lost. Yeah. Crossover. Crossover. It's not by Lindelof though. I don't think so. I just saw a clip of it on TV. So. Um, Billy on the Street is coming back. It's coming back. He's got Lynn. I know. I saw that. I'm very mm-hmm. excited for that. I will be. Lynn's got American Express and discovering <laughs> commercial. discovering new things oh with gosh. his credit card every day. Um, Avatar: The Last Airbender. There's going to be a young adult novel series about one of the previous avatars, Avatar Kyoshi, who's okay. the um, Earth um, 
Kingdom. Bender. Yeah, Earthbender, I think. Um, so that will be interesting. Mm -hmm. I'm interested to see if it's, I didn't look that carefully at it, if it's graphic novels or like what level of young adult? Like, is it meant to be middle grade? Is it meant to be like older young adults? Like, mm -hmm. how old is Avatar Kyoshi supposed to be in it? Um, but I was intrigued by that. I still need to go back and finish watching um, uh, and Korra, Korra, Legend of Korra. Yeah. Whoops. Um, I blame Nickelodeon still for that, though. They like stopped it from being able to stream. We were in an illegal country for it, but. No, but nobody could stream it. Oh, they okay. took it. They, they, it. they never put it on on TV. They just published the last episodes like mm. on their website, and then like didn't let you stream them at all. Mm. Anyway, or maybe it was just that I couldn't stream in Australia. All right, my last one, Captain Marvel. Yeah. Do you care at all? Uh, no. It's like that Billy on the street thing. That's like, do you care about this? Do you care about that? That's what I feel like I should do for you. Like, do you yeah. care about Captain Marvel? Um, I like Brie Larson. Mm, sure. She doesn't seem like the superhero type to um, me. It's not going to make me watch Dune. Is that how this question leads? <laughs> no, is this going to make you watch another superhero movie? I think is the, the, the new flip game. side to that question. Um, some I was intrigued by some of her outfits and some of the stills and some of the other ones when there was aliens and weird costumes and I was just like, meh, I'm over it. Okay, there's only one upcoming thing that we need to be talking about. Okay. There is a Witcher show coming. What? To Netflix. We books. are getting Netflix. Did it's you know based on books? the No, I did not know any of this. <laughs> I knew there were Witcher books. Why don't you follow Instagram better? My bookstagram better. I am gonna go read those and get really excited for the show starring Superman as Geralt of Rivia. Superman who? Henry Cavill. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm into that. Does he have as much sex as he does in the video game? Is it like an HBO show? What the first question on? in the comments was, it's Netflix. <gasps> We're going to switch back to Netflix okay. for it. The first question in the comments was, are they going to have sex on that stuffed unicorn? <laughs> Valid question. Someone's asking the important questions. We have to finish Boy Meets World before you we... Witcher? We have to finish Boy Meets yes. World on Hulu before we... But I just want to live in a world where Witcher is... The fantasy thing, not Game of Thrones. Why am I on this timeline? I don't know, babe. Because if it had been Witcher all along, like I probably would be on board with it. Well, maybe you'll maybe Witcher the Witcher we'll TV off. show will be the next new thing, and you will be like, I talked about it on the podcast before it was cool. Okay, I think we're a little bit behind. I played the game like three years after it came out, <laughs> yeah, and did not know TV about show. the books. I'm gonna add them to my to read list. Number one, right now, The Last Wish, the Witcher series. What grade are they There's meant so to be So many for? book twos. I'm so confused. I think they're like yeah, a bit young adulty. That one's in German. Hmm. No, but there's one called just The Witcher. You don't think The Last Witch Wish is the first one? Go down more. It's throwing stuff here. This? Oh, that's... Dead. That's probably a graphic novel? That's... Oh, boy. Know. Who's going to play Siri? Siri. <laughs> okay, wrap it up. That's all I had. Okay, good. I hope you were listening to this on double speed. Uh, if not, I'm sorry that we just took up an hour and a half of your life. Hopefully we made your commute or cleaning your house or whatever you were doing more interesting. Thank you for listening to this whole thing, especially if you don't like tennis and don't care at all about the 30-minute rant we went on at the beginning. Um, and we will hopefully see you next week. Okay, see ya. Bye. You gotta get down with the get down. Well now, get down, get down, er, get down, whoa, whoa, get down, er, get down, whoa, whoa. Maybe we can talk our neighbors into doing the same thing. Get down, get down.